Exodus 20, 13. You shall not murder. And the church said, amen. Be seated. I was sitting with a friend a few weeks ago, and we were just talking about life. We've all done it, right? Just talking about life. We were wondering and imagining what life could look like if, if society were to be fair. I know, before you say anything, or as you chuckle to yourself, it was an exercise in futility. As quickly as we came up with somewhat fair policies for everyone, we began to poke holes in each of them. We began to find the loopholes in each of those policies. It seems society and humanity is good at finding and creating loopholes for everything, for someone else to get ahead, for the advantage to be tilted towards their side. And it seems that a fair, and as we're going to discuss over the next few minutes with the fifth commandment, a peaceful society goes only as far as humanity wants it to go. Our conversation was a reminder that in the garden, at the fall, everything changed. What was intended for life has now been warped by the power of sin. The value of a life-giving culture has kind of been mediated by the desires of the flesh. And so Exodus 20.13 says, you shall not murder. It's the commandment where those who have never cared about Hebrew, and for most of us in here, that's everyone, those of us who have uh, have never cared about the Hebrew translation, this one verse seemed to have stoked a passion in everybody to care about the Hebrew translation. Because for a long time, it had been translated as, you shall not kill. But the better translation is murder. And here is where our concern for proper Hebrew begins and where it ends. We are very concerned with that word kill and murder. Partly because we want to know what God means. What does God mean with such a terse and simple statement of do not murder? And within the English language, we have a certain framework that we work through to define and understand what the word murder means within our society. It's a very particular thing, that word murder. And we thought if we could translate it from kill, which feels broad, to murder, we've kind of defined it within some certain parameters. But here's the problem, and here's the thing about it is, is however it might be a more nuanced, and and, and this word murder might be a little bit more nuanced than we think, and noted Old Testament theologian Christopher Wright says this about our definitions, the conventional legal definition of murder includes intention, malice, afterthought. And the Hebrew word, ratza, is also used of unintentional or accidental manslaughter, not just intentional murder. It may not be as easy to put walls into this word as we thought with our English language. With this broadened definition in mind, one theologian says we do well to admit that it probably refers to any act of violence against someone under a wide range of circumstances, intentional or otherwise. 
God's good creation was never intended to be a place in which life was taken. In fact, life was to be seen as gift, as a gift from God. So to do violence toward life was seen as something other than. It was a power that we do not possess. The power to give and take life was God's and God's alone. As if we have the right to believe we hold power over someone else's life, the commandment becomes more difficult when we are reminded again and again of who is the giver of this life. And so the fifth commandment was given to shape a community into who it would become. It was was given to us to shape our community to be the way of Jesus. We are no longer shaped by the violence of the world. Nor are we called to bring violence into the world. I'm reminded of what Jesus says to the disciples in Mark 10.43 when speaking to him. And he says, but it is not so among you. It's that phrase, it's not so among you, where Jesus says, you're going to be different. You're going to treat life differently than how it's treated in the world. The fifth commandment brings us back to, pulls us back into looking at the life of Jesus and the call of Jesus on our life. And our community is shaped and formed by this way of being in the world. We are called to offer life and to be life in the world. Stanley Hauerwas says it this way, Jesus not, and if we think about it this way, Jesus did not resort to killing even in self-defense, to defend or establish his kingdom. Yet, he was vindicated by God in resurrection. He has shown us the way, the way of the cross, which defeats the world. And that is not on the world's terms. When the world says everything you want has to be done by force, any means necessary. Jesus' kingdom was established by him going to the cross. So then, who are we and what are we to be in the world? Are we, to be, are we to bring the kingdom by force and coercion, threat and violence? I mean, that is what the world would tell us is the best way to push your cause forward. We can't help but see as soon as sin entered into creation, what happened in the story of Cain and Abel. Cain's outlet for his building rage and anger was to do what? Was to destroy his brother. Cain's outlet for that rage, as Jesus says, as, as God tells him in, in Genesis 4, be mindful, sin is crouching at your door. And we're reminded in the story of those fateful words of Cain as he's speaking to God in Genesis 4:9, when he says, Am I to be my brother's keeper? Well, I mean, is it up to me to take care of my brother? He's a big boy, he can do it himself. And it seems like this kind of Cain phrase has become and been embodied by the world from this moment. Am I my brother's keeper? And what the fifth commandment tells us is that we are supposed to be our brother's keeper. And in fact, what Cain tells us is it's brother against brother. It's sister against sister. It's kingdom against kingdom. It's power against power. 
The world continues to feed us this lie that if a person across from you is different, different in ideas, by the way, different in political affiliation, different in ideology, ethnicity, heck, one's a Redskin fan and one's a Cowboys fan, right? I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know, conjure up all the different ways that you can think of how someone is different than you sitting across from you, and we're really good at figuring these things out. Have you noticed that? Then that person's life in all aspects can be more freely done violence to. Because they're not like us. They don't think like us. They have different ideas. Violence in all its form, from bodily harm with a weapon and the words we use towards one another, And if you feel this might go a little too far, I'm only reminded of how much further Jesus took the matter of violence, this idea of murder, towards one another. Jesus broadens the definition in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus takes you shall not murder and makes that word murder a lot more broad, does he not? If you call a friend you fool, which is Jesus' way of saying, if you use words to dehumanize somebody... Because it always is easier to cause violence to somebody if we don't think of them as human. Jesus says, well, 105 degree weather is what you're waiting on. That makes it a little bit more difficult. Jesus says our words can be used as a weapon towards another. You and I can denigrate and dehumanize someone rather quickly with an outburst of words and hatred. We can cause violence to someone rather quickly with a, a few choice words from our mouth. And in this day, from our computer, life in all of its ranges and scopes is important to God. And as we read the totality of Scripture, we must pay attention to what God wants for life. It is a life of abundance. It is a life of peace. The fifth commandment is reminding us that we are our brother's keeper. The fifth commandment is calling the people of Exodus and us as well to embody and become a community that builds life. We become a culture of life. It's not that we're perfect. Let's be honest. We're all sitting in here. We're not. And I mean, there's conflict in the church. We try, but it still happens. We've all seen it. We've all heard about it. And for many of us, we might have been a part of it. What the fifth commandment is challenging us to, and what Jesus is pushing us further into, is to understand the conflict's going to come. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in this community. But Jesus is calling us to become a community of listening a community of understanding, and a community of reconciliation. It's not about winning or losing, because those are the ways of Cain. Cain's life was winning 
and losing. And when you lose, you do everything you can to win. And how do you do it? You get rid of your brother. The gift of grace is the environment in which we live in today, is what our community is built on. And so therefore, when Stanley Hauerwas says this, it makes sense. A people to whom, talking about us, have been given the means of confession and reconciliation, confrontation and forgiveness. Did you catch that? Confrontation and forgiveness. Whereby we are able to deal with conflicts without the conventional violence of the world. Therefore, the fifth commandment calls us to the difficult task of being a non-violent community to our brothers and sisters and becoming and embodying a non-violent community to the world. When the world sees the body of Christ, it sees a community that is fostering a life-giving system. Everything we do and say should be one that encourages life and not death, hope and not shame, reconciliation and not violence. We are the people of life. God put on flesh in the person of Jesus not to condemn us in a violent act, but instead, as John reminds us in, verse, in John 3, 17, God did not send His Son into the world to what? To condemn it. But in order that the world might be saved through Him. Now this whole you shall not murder has kind of been highlighted over the last few weeks. There's been some high fives and celebration in the Christian circles, and, and I'm, not, I'm not here to debate that, okay? But what I am here to say is this. When looking through the lens of the fifth commandment, if we are celebrating one another because of a political decision, but not creating ways and avenues for life, then there's a dissonance and a problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we're not the culture, if we're celebrating something going on in the world, and yet we're not the ones creating and finding ways to build life, to give avenues for people to find life, then the celebration is more about winning. And not about how we can foster a culture of life. Through our various talents and means. And folks, we got talents and we got means sitting in this room. So my question then is, what are we doing today to nurture life in all of its forms? How are we taking care of people? I was reminded over the past few weeks of what the great reformer Martin Luther said about this commandment in connection with Matthew 25. And you remember Matthew 25, right? Jesus speaking to the crowd says when he comes back in his glory, there will be a separation of the people. A group on his right and a group on his left. And what's interesting is, do you notice what separates the group? How they treat their fellow man is the separation. And that led Luther to believe this, that when we do not visit those in prison or those less than us or those who are struggling and hurting, those who need clothes and those, those who need water, he says, we become like the murdering horde. It's life. The fifth commandment de demands of us a different kind of living and being with one another. It demands upon the church community, our community here at Grapevine, to not play the games of violence. 
So why would we ever be people opposite to that? Why would we ever play the games of the world the way the world says you get ahead? Why would we ever do that? Games that cause violence on others so that their position can be superior and they can get their way. Often the church finds itself playing the games of the world because we want to have notoriety. We want to be known. But the fifth commandment implores of us to no longer play these games of violence. Jesus implores of us to no longer play these games of violence. We play by the rules of Jesus, the one who did what? Who gave his life for the world. Our community then is self-giving. We die to ourselves so that others may live. The orphan, the widow, the needy, the downtrodden, the misunderstood, the single mother, the scared. To them, the church should be the place that offers the avenues and ways of life and hope and will be the place that can encourage them and take care of them and be there for them. Not look down on them. When the world pushes them aside for their own agenda, the church steps into those dark places to offer life. And when we do that, when we're willing to do this, to quit playing the games and to start becoming with all of our talents the place of life that offers hope for those in the world that hope is not offered. When we do that, when we occupy that space, then the kingdom of God begins to mark out a new territory in the violent world and show the world something different. Life and light invade a bit more of the dark space. And today, today, you have an opportunity to bring life into your moments. You have an opportunity to live, you shall not murder. Opportunity to live, how Jesus goes further and says, use words correctly. Speak to one another rightly. You have an opportunity to do that, and, and I keep saying this, but I'll, your words will either bring violence or life to someone today. Your actions will either bring violence or life to someone today. What you post online will either bring violence or life to someone today. So the question is, what do you choose? I pray you choose life. As you see that life is bigger and much more expansive than we can possibly imagine. And there are so many people in this world today, in your neighborhood right now, who need life, who need to know that life is good and that we care about it and that we build it up, and that we do not play the games of the world. Because as Jesus said, not so among you. I mean, it's easy. And it's sometimes hard to think about if we say something or do something or that, that well, we're not really hurting somebody. But it's funny when Jesus grabs it and says, you've heard about this very narrow idea of murder. But I'm looking forward to a culture that doesn't hurt anybody in any way. Because when people encounter life, I think what Jesus said was, then the abundance begins to happen.
the flourishing begins to happen. People see themselves in a different way. They realize they're valued and not devalued. And when we become a place that opens our doors and says we can help in every life circumstance, and not only that, but we'll lift you up, then we start embodying what I think Jesus had in mind. When he says, if you, got a couple, if you had a cup of water, you gave me something to drink. You were in prison and you visited me. You were naked. Naked. And you clothed me. Making the most vulnerable realize that they are valued and worthy of life. That's our call today. So maybe we'll look at you shall not murder a little differently and realize that God is calling us to a community that flourishes. If you have any needs this morning, if you're struggling with anything, if you're thinking, Russell, you should... It's been hard to see life anywhere. We'll have elders down front. You have, there's brothers and sisters right here who will talk to you, but let us be a place that offers hope, a place that can be a light maybe even in your life where you feel it's dark. But if you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.